Hey, hey, how you doing? This is, a, this is a beautiful day for me because uh, I've pastored in Grand Rapids, Michigan for the last like 25 plus years, and this morning I woke up in Chandler, Arizona, and not in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I did not have to shovel this morning, so it has already been, uh, already been a good day. Hey, man, we're going to talk today about uh, the land between, and let me just begin by uh, describing this place that we're going to spend our time talking about today, all right? This is what the land between is. Uh, for four years... A college student has had the enjoyment, the luxury, the comfort that whenever someone is asked, hey, what do you do? They've been able to say, I'm an engineering major. I'm a history major. I'm an education major. But then comes this awful, horrible, terrible day. It's called graduation. And there is like not a job that lines up with the major that they just had. They just spent four years, four years plus of their life studying. And so they're in the land between. And uh, the language of the land between is for now, as in for now I'm living with my parents again. Or uh, for now I'm working at the same clothing store I worked at as a senior in high school, you know, before I went to college. For now is the language of the land between. Welcome to the land between. And it's, uh, it's not just college students. Uh, you get a, a real estate agent, right? It's past midnight, kids are asleep, and he's up, and he's repeating the number that robs him of his sleep, five. Five, I've sold five houses in 2010. 2007, this guy sold 27 homes, like a closing every couple weeks, five, five houses. He goes, how much longer can we do this? How much longer can I pull money out that I set aside for retirement? How much longer can I bleed the future in order to pay for the present? Do I get a second job? Do I get another job? Welcome, welcome to the land between, and he's up late at night, and he can't sleep. He's going, five, I've sold five homes last year. This is the land between. Land between is a telephone call, comes at 2.30 in the morning. You look over and you see the numerals on the clock and you pick up the phone and you hear the words, I, there's been an accident, we need you at the hospital. And suddenly you're thrown, hurled into the land between as if tossed out of a moving train. And there you are for the time being in intensive care, rehabilitation with someone you love. This is the land between. You find yourself entering a depression. You don't know how you got into it. You just know there's a cloud is following you through life. You don't know how you got into it. You don't know how to get out of it. You just know that, at least for the time being, prayer doesn't seem to be helping at all. This, my friends, is, is the land between. It's the between space. It's the desert that either you have been in, you are in, or someday you will find yourself in. This is the land between. And uh, what I'd like to do is uh, let you know that if you ever find yourself in the land between, or if you're there today, there is actually a place on the map that we can find to locate you. Already? Here it is. Right there. You are here. Right there. That, my friends, is the Sinai Desert. And the story that we're going to climb into today is that the Israel, it's a, one of the earliest stories in the Bible. The Israelites, they have left slavery over here in Egypt. Those of you that are familiar with the Bible story, 
or that at least saw Prince of Egypt when you were younger. This is the story we're talking about. Uh, and they, what color is Egypt there on the map? It is green because it flourished. I mean, we're talking, it was the land of slavery, but things grew there in the Nile Delta. And the Israelites, they're moving to the land of promise. Up there where it says the word here, uh, that also is green. That's the land that was promised to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they call it the promised land. It was the land that was promised. And it too is green. Uh, it was sometimes, someone help me here, it was sometimes called the land flowing with milk and honey because it flourished too. They have left Egypt, the land of slavery. They are on their way to the land of promise, Canaan, but they are in neither of these places. They are in the middle. They are in the desert. They are in the land between. And if my math is right, when we find them in the story today, they have been in the land between, they have been in the desert, you ready, for two years in the desert. You're thinking, two years in the desert, hundreds of thousands of people, what in the world did they eat? I'm so glad you're wondering that, all right? They ate a food substance, does anybody know, called manna, and the word manna literally meant, what is it? What is this stuff? Literally, because these like flakes would, this substance that God provided for them to eat, this food substance would fall to the ground and they would pick it up in the morning and they would like put it in a, uh, a grinding thing like a mortar and pestle and grind it up and then add water to it and it would make this mush. Or they would take it and they would bake it into cakes. But whether as mush or rather as cakes, this is the substance that God graciously provided for them to eat, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And the next day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And the next day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Are you tired yet? Not nearly as tired as they were. They had been eating this stuff for a couple years. And as we open our Bibles, if you've got a copy of the Scriptures, uh, please find Numbers chapter 11. Uh, it's one of the first like, stories in your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So the fourth book in your Bible in the Old Testament, uh, Numbers chapter 11, and we also have the verses on the screen, so if you don't have a copy of the Bible, you can uh, follow along with some of the verses we're looking at. You need to know something. A riot is about to break out among the people in the desert because of this stuff, manna, that they are sick of eating. Now, I'm going to read verses 4 through verse 6, and I just need to tell you, it's, it's better if you read these verses with a whiny voice. That really helps, okay? The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started whining, and they said, if only we had meat to eat. Oh, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. I remember the garlic. Do you remember the garlic? But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this. What is it? We never eat anything but the, this manna, and they're sick of this stuff, all right? And the noise is swelling to what I would call mob proportions. Now, you would think that in the desert, not much would grow. This, this my friends, is not true. The land between is fertile ground. It's fertile ground for complaint, all right? When you travel through the land between, understand something if you're there today. The land between is fertile ground for complaint, and they are whining because of this manna that they are eating that they just absolutely hate after two years. And uh, if, you're, if you read that description and you kind of go, those people are idiots. I'd never do anything like that. 
When was the last time you had to eat the same food over and over and over? Did it happen to you at one time in your life? I mean, any of you in a season of financial shortage have to eat ramen noodles like every dinner? Did not the very aroma make you nauseous? Did you not grow tired of the very crinkling of the wrapper after a while? My my buddy, Kevin, adventure type guy, he was with some friends in Colorado, and they would cross-country ski to the base of a mountain, and then they would summit the mountain, come back down, spend the night. The next day, cross-country ski to the next mountain, climb to the top of that mountain, come back down. They did this for two weeks, skiing, summit, skiing, summit, skiing, climb. And during those two weeks, they ate the same food every single meal. Craft macaroni and cheese, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, every meal for two stinking weeks. Guess what my friend Kevin didn't want to eat for the next five years? Macaroni and cheese. And I guess what I'm saying here is, is there's a possibility to read of a rebellion like this and to kind of go, I'd never do anything like that. <laughs> I think instead of seeing ourselves above the characters, I think it's helpful to place yourself among the characters and to kind of go, you know, given the right set of circumstances, I'd be doing the exact same thing. The land between is fertile ground for complaint. And you need to, this is serious stuff. It's not, just, <laughs> it's not just complaining about the cafeteria food, all right? When they were complaining, when they were longing for the food of Egypt, it's like they were saying, we were better off in Egypt. We were better off as slaves. And then, we were better off without you. When they were longing for the food of Egypt, like we were better off in Egypt, we were better off as slaves. God, we were better off without you. There's something about this spirit of complaint that is very, very serious as we explore when we get to the end of the story. So let's just find ourselves among the characters and let's just, let's just recognize the truth that when any of us travel through the land between, the land between is fertile ground for complaint and there's something that can rise up inside that just goes, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of living in my in-law's house. I'm sick of getting to the end of each month and trying to decide which bills to pay and which bills not to pay. I'm sick of visiting a mother in the nursing home who keeps asking who I am. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of going to bed at night, laying in bed, wondering where my teenager is. I'm sick of it. The land between is fertile ground for complaint, and so just recognize it right out of the gate with this first part of our story. Whenever you find yourself in the land between, baby, your heart is in danger. Your heart is in danger of going to some very dark places. But right right about now, I'm going like, well, Moses, where's Moses? What's he doing? I mean, he's the rock, right? He's unshakable, right? Moses, their leader? Okay. We're going to check in on Moses in the next section of the story. You need to know something. This guy is cracking. It's like he has had enough. We're going to, he starts to pray, and it is one of the most honest prayers you would ever see in your life. And as I read this prayer, please notice the pronouns, I, me, I, me, I, me, I, me, as we go through the story, all right? Uh, Verse 11 is where we pick up with Moses' prayer. It says, he asked the Lord. Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? 
what have I done to displease you that you would put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to, these, uh, to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry these people all by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Do you love the child care analogy in there? Excuse me, did I give birth to all of these people? Did I go into a delivery room? I'm not their mom. It's like to Moses, this isn't like carrying a baby across the desert. This is like trying to carry a Buick across the desert. And he melts down and he just goes, this is too heavy. I can't carry this anymore. You see, the land between is not only fertile ground for complaint. You ready? The land between is fertile ground for emotional meltdown. And if you think emotional meltdown is too strong of a term for what Moses experiences here, look at the last verse of the paragraph, verse 15. Moses says, if this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me, do not let me face my own ruin. It's not like, God, I have one request. If you're going to treat me like this, kill me now. Amen. <laughs> this guy is toasted. He's fried. It's like... He is so beyond emotional exhaustion. And he says, if you're going to treat God, just kill me. Just, just put me out of my misery, you know. The land between is fertile ground for emotional meltdown. I love something about this story. I think this is here for a reason. I think this provides us with guidance and how we can honestly vent toward God when we are so beyond exhaustion they just come to God and say, look, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I cannot do it anymore. This is too heavy. I can't carry this anymore. It's an honest prayer. A question, who, do you hear anybody's voices, voice there other than Moses? Do you hear anybody's voice? I, I hear the voice of a couple that have gone in for medical test after medical test after medical test, and there's still no clear diagnosis. Month after month after month, and they still don't know what's wrong. And finally, there's this day where something just breaks. And they go, this is too heavy. God, we can't carry this anymore. I hear their voice. Think of the people in your life. Who else's voice do you hear? Them? I hear the voice of a guy trying to keep a business afloat. He cuts back, cuts staff, cuts projects, cuts departments. His company is only a shadow of what it was eight years ago. He feels like he's carrying a weight and it's slipping through his fingers. And there's this point where he goes, God, I cannot carry the weight of this anymore. It's too heavy for me. I hear his voice. Whose voice do you hear there? I hear the voice of a guy who's been married 45 years. And his wife of 45 years, she's got dementia, and it is robbing them of their shared memories one week at a time. He still has his companion. In another sense, his companion is gone as their shared memories slip away. And he's strong, and he's pushing through, and he's caring for her, and there just comes this day of meltdown where he goes, God, I can't, I can't do this anymore. It's too heavy. I can't carry this anymore. 
I'm telling you, man, the land between, get into it, get far into it. It's not only fertile ground for complaint, it's fertile ground for emotional meltdown. It's fertile ground for emotional collapse. If we press pause right here in the story, I would just say, okay, I want to know how in the world is God going to meet this guy who recruited him to lead to begin with? And Moses didn't want this job to begin with. How in the world is God going to meet this guy? And I want to know. I want to know, not so, just so I can see how the story ends with Moses. I want to know, man, for us. Because maybe if God moves toward Moses tenderly and graciously and warmly, when Moses is just fried, there's just something in my heart that hopes that God would move toward us in the same way when we are at the end and can't take another step. And so the story picks back up. I, I think it's verse 16. What's going to happen? And this is where God gets a speaking part in the story here. It says, the Lord said to Moses, bring me, and there's a number there. What, what's the number? Bring me 70. It's interesting. Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Okay, bring them where? Well, it says, have them come, and there's a place here. What is it? Come to the what? The tent of the meeting. That's interesting. That they may stand there with you. So it's like Moses, and he's got like these 30 guys with him. It says, I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take the spirit that is on you, and I will put that spirit on them. They will help you. Oh, man, check this out. This is beautiful. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. God says, okay, look, go to the tent of the meeting. Now, we have another name for this. It was called the tabernacle, but don't think cathedral. Uh, the tabernacle was a portable worship place. It was like a tent because they're traveling in the desert. They could take down and put back up, take down and put back up, depending on where they were. When it calls to the tent of the meeting, it's not where the people met together it's where the leaders would go to meet with God. It was a place where you went to meet with God. And God says, go to the tent of the meeting, bring like 70 guys with you who are already established as leaders in the community that other people respect. So I, I don't know how this worked, but I imagine Moses there kind of like with maybe 35 guys on one side, 35 guys on the other side. And Lord God says, I will come down and speak with you there and I will take the spirit that is on you and what? How did the story go? And what? Put it on them. Now, I don't know how this worked, but apparently... When Moses is given his leadership responsibility to lead the Israelites out of slavery, apparently God dumped on him an extraordinary measure of the Spirit of God so that Moses would be able to lead effectively. Moses apparently had a God endowment that was very, very unique and special to him. And so what the Lord says here is, you come and you stand here in front of me, you get these 70 guys here, and I'm going to take the spirit that I dumped on you, and I'm going to dump it on them too. So now you have like 70 mini Moseses. <laughs> and it's like, uh, they will help you carry the burden so that you will not have to carry it alone. I love that because God uses the same language that Moses, I can't carry this, it's too heavy, I can't carry it. And God says, look, man, I don't want you to have to carry this alone anymore. Now you'll have 70 other people to help you carry it. And what, this is a beautiful part. I love this part of the story. What we learn here is that the land between is not only fertile ground for complaint, it's not only fertile ground for meltdown. My friends, the land between is fertile ground for God's provision. It's fertile ground for God to provide. 
I just because he provides leaders for Moses. I just asked the question, what if he still does this? If you're traveling through a really dark season of your life, I just want to ask you the question, what if he still does this? What if he's good? What if he's gracious? And what if he still loves to provide? Jesus' disciples, they come to him and they say, uh, would you please teach us how to pray? And Jesus says, okay, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. Hallowed be your name. Uh, your kingdom come. Your will be done right down here as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Heavenly Father, give me today the bread I need today. Preschoolers in your house, give me today the patience I need today. Difficult person in your life, give me today the love I need today. Passing through a season of deep tragedy and suffocating grief, God, give me the joy today that I need today. Give me the comfort and the peace today I need today because this is breaking me. Give us today our daily bread. And I would say, what if he provides? What if he loves to provide? And look, I don't know how God would be pleased to provide for you. I just know that he loves to do it. I believe that he loves to do it. Maybe he'll provide for you by taking you out of the depression that you found yourself in, and he will provide a new restored joy, and the depression is swept away. It is possible that he does not provide by pulling you out of the depression. He may provide by giving you strength from day to day, by giving an encouraging note, an email from a friend, a phone call that comes out of nowhere, or you show up in church some weekend, and it's like the teaching was just for you. And God provides. I think he loves to provide could be that God provides the financial resources that you need. God sometimes provides by giving you uh, contentment to live without luxuries that used to be normal. The financial level does not raise in your life, but you've got this supernatural ability to go, we don't need that, and 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 we're fine, and we can live lives of fullness, joy, and life without having stuff that used to be normal. We can experience a season of shortage and a season of joy simultaneously, and this too is from the hand of God. He provides. He provides contentment. Sometimes if you're passing through a season of unemployment, you know, I'm from Michigan, and just the unemployment is just like record, you know, levels, you know. Uh, and often God provides by giving a job opportunity. Often God provides by giving the strength to fill out five more resumes and make ten more phone calls. And just keep moving, just keep moving, just keep moving. But God provides. I think he loves to provide. The land between is fertile ground for God's provision. There is a story in the Bible that I love. I mean, it hits me at this deep, deep place. Happens centuries after the time of Moses. Uh, Elijah, there's a prophet by the name of Elijah. He has spent his life trying to restore the heart of the people to God and away from idol worship, the worship of Baal. 
And there comes this time where the queen, Jezebel, says that she's going to kill him. And so he runs far out into the desert, and he's tired, and he's exhausted, and he's discouraged. And it says that Elijah laid down under a tree and prayed that he might die. Literally, he says, look, I'm, I'm not accomplishing anything. My grandparents didn't, and my parents didn't. My life has been a waste. And he basically says, God, just kill me now. I think he's resigning. <laughs> And it says that he fell down under the tree and just fell asleep. He's just tired, just toasted. He's exhausted. The next thing you read in this Elijah story at that point is that the, it says an angel of the Lord wakes him up, and there by his head was a jar of water and bread baking over hot coals. Not week old thrift store bread, bed, <laughs> no. He already had the bed. Uh, bread baking over hot coals, which means that you could not only see it, you could also smell it. I love that story. You know why? Because I think God's going to give him a lecture and God makes him lunch. Seriously, I think God's going to say, now look, you get up and you get back there. Who told you to run down here? And it's not like, dude, you could really use something to eat. I love that. This servant of God is so tired, and he's so worn out, and he's so beyond himself. Hot bread, water to drink. God provides. I think he loves to provide. But wait a minute. Um, so God provides leaders for Moses. Remember, we still have a riot on our hands here. You know, the, the, the bread riots of the Sinai Desert, people are still screaming that they want meat to eat. Okay, we're going to see provision for them too. You will like this part of the story. It comes in verse 18. Now, here's provision for the people. Now, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. Consecrate means like a ceremonial washing. The Lord heard you when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat to eat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five days, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Yes, my dear friends, it says right there in the Holy Bible, until it comes out of your nose. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before Him, saying, if only, you know wailed before him, why did we ever leave Egypt? Notice that, you have rejected the Lord. And so, why did we ever leave Egypt? And now you understand, this is not simply complaining about cafeteria food. Man, it's like, we were better off without you. We were better off as slaves. We were better off in Egypt. And you get the impression from this part of the story, somebody's in trouble here. The land between is fertile ground for complaint, for emotional meltdown, for God's provision, and now the ugly part of the story. My friends, it's fertile ground for God's discipline. The land between is fertile ground for God's discipline, and these people are in trouble. Moses goes, whoa, 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 time out, time out. F meat to eat for a month? If we barbecued every goat and we roasted every lamb and I sent out fishing expeditions to bring back carts of fish from the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, there wouldn't be enough for a couple days. How in the world are you going to provide food for a month? The Lord's answer is in verse 23, and it's very short. It says, the Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Whoa, 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 you, you think food for a month is too much for me? Moses, are you questioning my compassion or are you questioning my capability? 
You think this is a capability issue here? And so it's like, is the arm of the Lord too much, yeah, too short for this? You know, so that maybe that was why you just needed to be here today was to just remember that one sentence, is the arm of the Lord too short? Is God not capable to care for you in your time of need? Now, if you continue reading the story, what happens next is the mother of all quail migrations. It says that a wind blew quail in all around the people, like for a couple days walk in every direction, and it's like not just in the air, but like three feet off the ground. I mean, you can knock them out of the air with a tennis racket. And people begin to club these quail and then pick them up, and uh, the, the measurement that my Bi- version of my Bible has is it says, no one collected less than 10 homers. And as near as I can tell, a homer is a bushel basket, 10 of those. We're talking a pickup bed full. And people get all this meat, they spread it out on the ground, and then you read this. But while, I think they spread it out to, to, in order to dry it. And then it says this. It says, while the meat was still between their teeth, God struck them with a wasting plague, and some of these people die which means two things. Number one is that you have the very uncomfortable topic of God's discipline, and second, that this is a wonderful story to tell your children at dinner time. <laughs> Honey, before you complain about the asparagus, daddy's going to read a Bible story. <laughs> These people complained about their food, and God killed them. <laughs> Just thought you'd want to know, eat your vegetables, all right? You say, what's up with, what's up with it? I don't like this here. It's there. We got to say something about it. Hey, uh, good parents, we admire good parents that provide loving and appropriate discipline to their kids. We admire solid parents who give loving and appropriate discipline to their children. Because what discipline is, is, it is inflicting pain for a redemptive purpose. It is not pain for pain's sake, it is pain for a redemptive purpose. The parent, the good parent administering loving and timely and appropriate discipline is attempting to rescue something in this child. And my my question is, if we would not, you see, a parent, you don't say, well, if you love the child, you wouldn't discipline them. No, 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 no. Love and discipline go hand in hand. Look at me, right? Love and discipline go hand in hand for loving parents. Why would we say that God could not discipline as a loving father? And I think we are naive to believe that we are immune. That when traveling through the land between, and we are in an awful stretch, when we turn our back on God, we raise our finger and go, I was better off without you. We are naive to believe that God cannot send correction into our lives. The land between is fertile ground for God's discipline. What's up with this? What's this story doing here? What are we supposed to do with this? You know, we said that the land between is fertile ground for complaint, for meltdown, for God to provide, for provision, for discipline. The final deal here is that the land between is fertile ground for transformational growth. We began by looking at a map. When the people were over in Egypt, right, we need to know something. When they leave Egypt, those people do not exit Egypt as an orderly group of God followers. They exit Egypt (laughs) as an unruly mob of ex-slaves 
indoctrinated in generation, uh, generations of Egyptian idol worship. An unruly mob of ex-slaves indoctrinated in generations of idol worship, and they are headed to the promised land. And God is saying, look, look, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. When you run out of water, I need you to trust me. When you run out of food, I need you to trust me. When Pharaoh's army is attacking you with his chariots, I need you to trust me. Because when you get into the land of promise and you run out of food, I don't want you to be running down the road to the altar to Baal or one of the other Phoenician gods. You are my people and I am your God. Let's settle this right now in the desert. I need you to trust me, and trust is the glue that holds any relationship together. This time in the desert, they needed it. And what was supposed to happen in the desert is they were supposed to be transformed from the people of slavery to the people of God. That's what was supposed to happen in the desert. And so God kept saying, look, I need you to trust me here. I need you to trust me here. I need you to trust me here. I just got to ask you, what if when you're traveling through the land between, it's an awful space, but what if your God just keeps asking, will you trust me? Will you trust me with this? Will you trust me? And I'm telling you, there are people I've known who've gone through a very challenging time. They were in the land between, and they said, we learned to pray for the first time when we were in the land between. For the first time when we were in the land between, walking with Jesus meant something to us. Prayer. We learned to pray, we learned to trust, we learned what faith meant in the land between like never before. See, here's the deal. The desert, the desert is a greenhouse for your spiritual transformation. It is also the place where faith goes to die. <laughs> and we decide. There's a term we use. It says, help me here, time heals all wounds. You know that so isn't true. <laughs> there are some people and they get wounded and over time, God heals them up. Everybody? No way. There are other people that get deeply wounded and they get embittered. And as time goes on, they get nastier. They get acidic. They get caustic. They get poisonous. You know what I'm talking about here? Time, it does not heal them up. They get nastier as time goes forward. So the question is, when you get wounded, when you get hurt, where will your heart go? Because your heart is in danger in the land between. <laughs> Last winter, uh, when I wrote the book, The Land Between, and put, tried to put this in, in written form, I wrote that <laughs> when I'm having, going through a bad season, I do not have to invite complaint to show up. It shows up automatically. I come home from another disappointing day to see the complaint is moved into my guest room, unpacked all its luggage, is starting a load of laundry, and is rooting through the fridge, right? And even as I seek to dislodge complaint, as I take all its bags out to the curb and change the locks, no, it sneaks back in the guest room window. Complaint resists eviction. We've heard it said that good movement pushes out bad movement, and bad movement pushes out good movement. The way you prevent complaint from moving back into your heart and unpacking in your life is to invite in another guest, and I submit to you that that guest is trust. Complaint tries to return, and it understands that it learns that trust has moved into the guest room and has unpacked its bags. It comes to the dinner table, and trust has taken the empty seat at the table. Trust and complaint are incompatible roommates. One will evict the other one. One will push 
the other one out. What this story teaches us is that the terrain we most despise can produce the fruit we most desperately want. The space in life that we hate may be the season when God is at His best and shows up in power and provision and we get to know Him like never before. May God bless you in the land between. May He restore your laughter and your joy. May you come to Him with open hands to release what you've been carrying for way too long, and may you keep your hands open to receive any good thing that He would give. May you find your God faithful and loving and good. May this be a greenhouse for your growth. May you find God faithful and good in the land between.